We've got a lot to cover this morning, and I want to make sure that pork is still warm for you when we get down there. So are you guys ready to roll? I need some more light. So we're in the book of Galatians. You're going to find your way to chapter 5, verses 1 through 15 for this morning. But I want to start out by talking to you about Looney Tunes and Minecraft. You okay with that? (laughs) Um, What else would you expect from me, right? I also want to say, if there's anybody in the back who can make sure the air conditioning is working, that would be excellent. If we can crank that sucker up, that'd be good for me anyway. Um, Just this much distance, I get a lot of heat, you know? Uh, anyway, so Looney Tunes, one of my favorite uh, cartoons of all time. I actually, I was thinking about reaching a little farther back and talking about Hanna-Barbera, but I know there's a whole generation of people here who has no idea who Hanna-Barbera is, but I love those guys like the Jets. so this will help you, like the Jetsons and the Flintstones, like that's Hanna-Barbera, okay? So he was, he was the, the, the cartoonist who did those things, but, but Looney Tunes, I think we're all probably familiar with Looney Tunes too. So Looney Tunes, you, you know the rules for Looney Tunes, right? So you can hold a stick of dynamite and it'll blow up and that should that should end it but instead the rules are you know you can hold a stick of dynamite you can blow up and then there'll be a little pile of ash with the eyeballs blinking right so that's that's one rule another rule in Looney Tunes is you can run right off a cliff and just keep on trucking until you realize that you're off the cliff and then you fall right and so that's that's a rule you can just keep on going until you look down so there's some freedom in those things, but there's also rules, right? Like, I couldn't hold a stick of dynamite and blow up and have my eyeballs just be, well, maybe it'd just be my eyeballs left. I don't know. In a similar game, well, similar, this is a game. That was a TV show. In a similar game, Minecraft, there's this guy, Steve. I don't know if you know that was the main character of Minecraft, but it is. So we can all uh, say hello to Steve and, and compliment him on his fame. But uh, he's supposed to de- defeat an ender dragon, which I've never seen because my kids don't play it that way. So I don't know what it looks like, but I know that there's an ender dragon somewhere in the game. But in this game, what my kids often will do is they'll take these little, it's like, it's like digital Legos from my understanding of it. And you can take these little blocks and you can make stuff with it, which is the name mine and then craft. So you mine things out to get the resources from it and then you can craft things from there. For the long time, I thought it was Minecraft, like mental mind, I didn't know. But anyway, so you can build these things. And so they love to build these, these houses they love to try to build farms and they build these, these immaculate structures to try to uh, fend off all these different beasts that are there in the game. And there's some rules in the game, right? So there's apparently, you can dig down in this game and you have these giant places you can go into, but there's a bottom of it called bedrock. And you can't, you're not supposed to, unless you cheat, I guess, you're not supposed to get through the bedrock. That's the bottom of it, right? And so you can, you can go underwater, but you, you breathe air, right? So you can drown or you, to get health back, you have to eat like... I don't know, potatoes. They always seem to have potatoes in this game. So there's, there's different rules, right? But they have freedom in the game to go wherever they want in the game, but they don't have freedom to do whatever they want to do. There are some rules within that, okay? Kind of like adulthood. When I was a child, I thought, it's going to be great when I'm an adult because I have all this freedom. Oh, I didn't realize that adulthood is not full of freedom. You just get, you, you just, instead of answering to mom and dad, you answer to this awkward uncle named Sam who's always breathing down your neck about all kinds of different things. And so you just trade one kind of tyranny for another, I guess. But that's how Christianity is too. Uh, not trading tyranny is what, what I mean. 
Uh, but what I mean is in Christianity, just like adulthood, just like these video games, just like cartoons, there's an awful lot of freedom that we are afforded. However, there is still rules, there's still boundaries, even within that freedom, and it's set up in a way specifically so that things work out, like the cartoon, or like the video game, or like adulthood, or like Christianity. Freedom without rules is just simply anarchy. It's not anything any of us would really truly want if we actually spend time thinking about it. So today, what I want to do is I want to talk about the freedoms we have in Christ, what that looks like, how Paul paints that for us. I want to show you what the, what the foundation, what the bedrock of that is, all the way to where the boundaries of that lie. Can we do that this morning? Let's pray. Well, precious God and Father, we are glad to be gathered here today. Glad to be in your presence with your people, to worship you, and to hear from you, your, your, to hear from you and, and your word. Lord, we confess that we are sometimes troubled and find trouble in accepting and practicing our freedom that we have through and in Christ. We often waver between placing religious law upon ourselves and thereby stunting our freedoms or overindulging in our freedom to the point of sinning against your grace. Therefore, we thank you for your patience and kindness towards us. As we go now to your word in Galatians, we ask that your spirit would have its way within us. Bring us encouragement where it is needed, chastisement where it is required. Shape us, Father, to rightly practice your boundless freedom as slaves to Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I just want to give you a quick recap. Now, this is a quote directly from uh, uh, just a, a copy of the ESV Bible. A lot of times in Scripture, they'll have like a little caption uh, before each section so you, so you kind of know what's going on. So Paul began in Galatians with a defense of his apostolic authority. Do you remember that? Chapters 1 and 2. Then he made it clear that all believers, Jews and Gentiles alike, enjoy complete salvation in Christ, chapters 3 and 4. And now in chapters 5 and 6, he's going to show how the gospel of grace leads to true freedom and godly living. And so that's what he is going to talk about now at the beginning of this chapter. And what we're going to talk about firstly is the bedrock of our freedom. Okay, So where is it founded upon? And we can see that in Galatians uh, chapter uh, 5, verse 1. The first thing, though, if you're a note-taker, is firstly the bedrock, if you missed that. The second thing is uh, their liberty is going to be celebrated here in the text in just a minute. So their liberty is celebrated. Verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, I want to ask you this morning, who doesn't like freedom? I know I do, uh, I, and I, I know we all do, because one of, one of the fears that when I talk with uh, elderly folks, one of the fears of their life is losing that freedom that they've enjoyed for so long. <clears throat> you know, there's kind, of a, there's kind of a weird life trajectory I've, I've determined, where you're born and you don't really have freedom. Remember, I talked about that a couple 
a week or so ago, probably two weeks ago now, because Easter was in there, we talked about my children and how they're, they're basically in slavery because they get, they get told what they have to wear, what they have to eat, where they have to go, when they have to be back, all those kind of things. I know all the teens right now are looking at mom and dad like, see, I told you I was in slavery. Yeah, well, you know, for good reason. God designed it that way. It's beautiful. Thank them instead of rolling your eyes. Uh, but, but that's how it is. But we all like freedom. And as we're children, we're thinking, man, I can't wait to have my own freedom. And then we get into adulthood and we realize, you know, Freedom's not always all it's cracked up to be. I kind of like the safety net of mom and dad, you know, uh, doing my laundry and cooking my food and paying my bills and doing all those things because all that's not always fun. And, and then when we get older, we realize to a point where there's a, there's a point where my freedom is now going to be taken away again. And I'm, I'm either going to be in the care of my children or in the care of like uh, an elderly home where there's going to be people there who are bringing my food when it's time to do that. They're going to be allowing me to have showers when it's time to do that. And I'm not going to be able to go to the places I want to do or do the things I want to do. And they're going to take my driver's license away and I'm going to have to do all these other things. So everybody likes freedom. Well, in this, Paul is writing to those who used to be slaves. He's writing uh, maybe even while in prison. And so he's talking to Jews who are in bondage in Egypt that's like one of their main things. I don't know if you know that about the, the Jewish people, but you know they left Egypt and they celebrate that all the time. And it's where the Passover came from, from Moses and all those kind of things. So it's, it's pretty deep in their roots. But they were also in bondage to Babylon. If you remember, we've been talking for a while about these things and Lamentations, bondage to Assyria. And you're also talking to the Gentiles who, who are now, and the Jews as well, bondage in, in one sense to Rome, just like we might be in some senses bondage to you know, the government that we are under. And so Rome would come in, and they told the Jews, hey, you can worship how you want to worship, but it's, you've got to pay us your taxes, you've got to be uh, over us, or, or we've got to be over you. And we know about freedom here in America because of the American Revolutionary War. We fought a whole war so that we would be free from the tyranny of kings and kingdoms. And then we fought another war because we also understood that Scripture teaches us that brother ought not to sin against brother by having them as slaves, at least in the way that we practice slavery here. And so we had an American Civil War. Well, the Greeks, they had this roundabout way of securing freedom for a slave. A god, well, here's what they would do. They, they didn't have, if you were a slave, you didn't have any of your own possessions, right? So they would bring you to a temple, if they wanted to set you free, they would bring you to a, a temple of some deity. They would pay a, a fee or, or something like that, or, or do something where the, the god would supposedly purchase this slave. So now this slave was now property of the god, and therefore they would secure their freedom because the slave was now the property of the god, and nobody could enslave them again because now you were offending against that god. So they would have their freedom purchased or by this deity. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Jesus, when he came, he taught those who thought that they were free that they were actually slaves. I don't know if you remember it, but it's in John. You can look it up or you can write a note down. John 8, 33 through 36, when Jesus is talking to the scribes and the Pharisees, and, and he's telling them, listen, um, you're enslaved. And they said, well, we're offspring of Abraham. So I'm gonna, now I'm going to quote it. Uh, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So he was telling them that they are in slavery. So what we need to understand, the bedrock of our freedom then comes in Christ. That's why I have it highlighted up here. Christ is the bedrock of our freedom. Otherwise, we are still 
in sin. We are still a slave because anyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So our bedrock, the thing that we have to build it on, is Christ, and that's why we celebrate him. And so that's why Paul says next in there to stand firm. We just sung a song about that. And in the text, what this is talking about, it should give you in the mind of Roman culture and Roman soldiers. What they would do if they were fighting against an enemy, they would often, uh, I don't know what it's called, like kind of a porcupine or, or something like that where they would, uh, porcupine's not exactly right, but, but you'll be familiar with this. If you've ever seen, you shouldn't watch it, it's not a good movie, but if you've ever seen the movie a long time ago, 300, um, what they would do is they would lock their shields together and, and make almost a, 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 a steel wall. A phalanx? Right, that's it. A phalanx. You can Google that and check and, and, check and make sure that we're, that we're right, but I've got no reason not to believe it. Uh, so they'd make this phalanx, and it would be an impervious wall against their, their foes, and they would, they would stand firm. They would stand their ground, and it was very successful for the Roman Empire. So as we lock their shields together, that's what Paul is telling them. And you have to remember the context of this. People are trying to pull them apart. And so what he's saying is you need to lock shields. You need to stand firm. Christ is the bedrock. There is no other foundation. And this is what we celebrate, not only back then, but today. And we just did this last week, that Christ is a celebration of our freedom. He tells them to be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. We need to preach sermons like that more often in our culture. Uh, maybe our Philippians 1.27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. You see, truth is truth, error is error, and we need to be able to stand firm in that, and all the more as the end draws near. And he tells them, lastly, not to submit again to this yoke of slavery. You see, these oxen, and now this is going to make sense in a little bit, these oxen were castrated, and that's how you kind of subjugate them. And then more than that, then after you break their will from that, then you put the yoke over them, and they are affixed to one another. And often then they're also not only affixed to one another, but usually some kind of a heavy burden, and they would only be able to go where the person who is driving them is able to take them. They have no will of their own at that point. He says, don't go back to that. So the next thing that he uh, takes us to is their liberty is censured by those around them. And I want to show you the seriousness of this attack being revealed. So their liberty is censured by somebody, or that's what they're seeking to do, and he's going to show the seriousness of this attack, which he's been doing all the way through. But we have to remember that the bedrock is Christ, right? So, so this is what he says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be no advantage of you, to you. So we have to remember, again, who this is who's talking. This is Paul, who was a Pharisee of all Pharisees, right, who was persecuting the church, who went to school, who was raised up under Gamaliel, who was, he says by his own admission, zealous for the traditions of the fathers. And yet he, Paul, who was himself circumcised because he was a good Jew, is telling these Gentiles, I, Paul, look, I'm the one, first of all, I'm the one who preached the gospel to you originally. Remember, we just covered that a couple weeks ago. I came there. I was a burden to you. You understood my love for you and my affection for you and my zeal for the Lord. I came and I preached the gospel to you, that which I have received, that which I myself, Paul, a slave to religion, was already set free from. I was trying to earn my way into heaven on my own merit. Then Jesus revealed himself to me. I came and preached the good news, the euangelion, the gospel to you. And I, Paul, am the one saying to you that if you accept this circumcision, if you accept this legal, Legalism, 
And Christ is of no advantage to you. Basically, he's saying if circumcision is all that's needed, then Christ died for nothing. That's a very serious revelation of this attack. And then he's also going to reject this attack in this very next section here. So this is verses 3 through 6 for this rejection. He says, uh, I, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For though this, uh, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. So there's some terrible warnings in this text. He says here in verse 3 through 4, I testify that every man who accepts circumcision, that means anyone who takes that, they're what? They're obligated to keep what? The whole law. Do you know what James says about this? He says, if anyone keeps the whole law but fails in even one point, he has become guilty of all of it. Adrian Rogers, one of my favorite preachers, says, and I quote, I wouldn't trust my best 15 minutes to get me into heaven. And I think Adrian's being generous to himself. <laughs> And I think Adrian would say that too. And so he says, you have to keep the whole law. And then what he says in verse 4 is he's, you have to also see Paul is very cleverly having a play on words here. So he talks about circumcision, which is the cutting off of the foreskin of the flesh. And he says, I, I want you to know that if you do that, you yourself is, are, you are severed from Christ. You have fallen away from this grace. This term is the same idea of a, a falling star or a flower that is, is in bloom and then withers because of the heat of the sun that is being placed on it. It is without hope. Who can put a star back into the heavens, Paul thinks? And so he gives this encouragement to have a triumphant waiting as we wait. He says in verse 5, for through the Spirit by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. What a contrast. He says, either you take the law and you live by the law or you live by hope. That's it. You, you, you can't have both. You can't have the law and have the hope. And you can't have the hope or have the law because the hope nullifies the law and the law nullifies the hope. Are you following me? And so we wait through the Spirit by faith for he who re will return to gather us. In Romans, he pens something very similar. Not only the creation, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. And then this is where that famous thing, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it in, uh, in patience. Hope, uh, hope that is seen is not hope, for he who hopes for what he sees. I'm, I'm screwing it up. I'm going to move on. I shouldn't butcher scripture that, that bad. So we are waiting for the culmination of this. And then he tells us finally in verse 6, this true working. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. He says you can't build your stairway to heaven. It has to go through the cross. It's the only way to get there. So, as I've said, this is the bedrock of our freedom in Christ. Him crucified, him raised to glory, and now to the second thing that Paul talks about is the bandit of our freedom. So we have the bedrock of our freedom, we have the bandit of our freedom, which we're going to see here is the first point is their description 
uh, their deception revealed. I was up helping Drew with that pork. And so my throat is dry and I'm tired. So I apologize for my foibles. I'm glad that you love me and can bear with me through it. So the bandit of our freedom, he's going to reveal this deception in verses 7 through 9 where he says, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I, Paul is a sports guy. He's got to be. I think I talked about this before too. He uses these, these illustrations often, and I'm glad he does because in our culture, we can still relate to that. It's not something, you know, I have trouble sometimes where he's like, you know, um, the sower scatters the seed or, or the different things like, oh, you know, put your net in and catch these fish, that kind of stuff. And I'm like, I don't fish like that. I don't scatter seed like that. I've never been a farmer, so I've never sheared sheep. I've never, you know, uh, helped break a horse or I, I kind of know what bits are and those kind of things. But these kind of illustrations, I understand them. And I hope that you do too. He says, you were running well. I used to run track. I don't know if I was very good or not, but I used to do it. One of my main things that I used to do until late, I, I stopped growing like we all do at some point. And the hurdles that I ran continued to get bigger until they stopped growing too. But unfortunately, we didn't match up anymore. But I used to run hurdles. And I was, I was pretty decent at it, if I do say so myself. I know, yeah. But I also remember when I wasn't so good at it. And I would go to go over those hurdles. And usually, usually if, you're, if you're a good hurdler, you'll have a general rhythm and a cadence, right? Now, whatever your pace is, based on whatever your legs are and however fast you go, right? So it's like in between the hurdles, you'd have seven steps and then you jump. Or you'd have 10 steps in the jump. Or you'd have whatever, whatever that would be, you know? So bump, 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 jump. Bump, 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 jump, right? You just set a rhythm and a beat to it, and you could really get going fast. And the whole goal of cleaning the, uh, clearing the hurdles is you just barely, like your back foot should actually be grazing them every time you go over, just it doesn't go over. I distinctly remember when my front heel hit that sucker. And I went down like a sack of potatoes. And the hurdle flipped over top of me, and I'm, you know, skidding on the thing. And, and, I, and I was not a Christian at that point, but somebody could have said this to me. You were running well. Who hindered you? And I would have to answer myself. Unfortunately, Hebrews 12, 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, now I'm thankful that what happened to me was not at a track meet, it was at a track practice, and then I decided, I think I'd like to try long jump this year. Can we do long jump instead? But he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And I want you to see it's, it's already on there, but this persuasion is not from he who calls you. I mean, think about it. It, it would be as if what, if, what if it was like this? What if the coach said, John, I, I want you to run hurdles this year, so here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to buy you your spike shoes, and I'm going to get you the best spike shoes out there. And I'm going to get you your own starting blocks because I want to make sure that nobody's messing with your starting blocks. So I'm going to get you those. Once you get them set up, we're going to keep them in my office. Nobody's going to mess with them. 
I'm going to get you your, your, your shorts that you need. I'm going to make sure I get you, you know, your, your electrolytes before the games. I'm going to buy pasta for you, matter of fact, buddy. I'm going to buy pasta for you, and I'm going to cook it for you so that you can eat it. So you'll have all those carbs in your system racing through your system before you get out there. And, and I'm going to make sure that whenever we get, uh, get the chance, and, I, and I'm going to talk to the guy who does the starting pistol, and I'm going to make sure that all his starts go off. I'm, there's not going to be any misfires, and I'm going to make sure that he stands right next to you as he blows that, that gun so that you can hear it, so you can start well. I'm going to make sure all of that for you. But then also what I'm going to do, John, is I'm, going to, I'm, going to, I'm, going to, I'm not going to tell you which hurdle it is, but a couple of those hurdles down there, I'm going to raise them about five inches. Is that cool? Why would he do that? Why would he go to all that trouble to help me run well and then screw me up by raising random hurdles in my lane five inches. He knows I can barely clear him as it is. Look at me. I'm a dwarf. And so what Paul is saying here is this persuasion to follow the law is not from God. Why would he set you up? Why would he build a bedrock and then steal that from out from underneath you? He says you were running well. Who hindered you? See, God through Christ has called us to run. It is Satan, demons, the legalists of religion, and in our society today, the licentiousness that is causing us not to be able to run well. Uh, a brother of mine, uh, not a blood brother, but a Christian brother, gave me a book to read. It's called Letters to the American church. And I, I read it because I trust him. And it was a good book. I'm glad that he gave it to me. Letter to the American church. I would recommend it to you. Um, basically, what it is about is the, the Eric Metaxas is the author of the book. He is, he is showing us the similarities in our nation now, currently, with things like uh, liberalism, the sexual revolution, just the, the government kind of overstepping things that they should, shouldn't be maybe doing all the time with Nazi Germany. And he's saying, you know, the church uh, was silent and allowed for the Nazi uh, regime to then kind of take over, and they didn't stand up when they should have, and before, and before they knew it, it was too late, and then you're familiar with the guy maybe named Bonhoeffer, and so Eric Metaxas, who wrote, writes this book, Letter to the American Church, is showing the similarities, and he uses a lot of things with, with Bonhoeffer in that, and he has this section that stood out to me so good, and I, so I want to give it to you too. He talks about our God and how he cares for us. And, I, and I'm going to just give you the short version of it because I'd, I'd like you to, to read the book and you should give credit to Eric and support his, 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 what he's doing there. God is not a vicious taskmaster. There's a section in the book where he talks about the talents. Perhaps you've heard about the talents. He gives, he gives one guy one, he gives another guy three, he gives another guy five, and they're all supposed to do with, uh, have these talents because he's going away, he's going to come back, and he's going to check on them, okay? The, the, the one guy, he buries his in the ground. The other guy invests it. The other guy invests it. He doubles it. He doubles it. He just has it. It's just dirty. Uh, the master comes back, and he says, where's the talents? He says, hey, I've doubled it. Hey, I've doubled it. He says, listen, I knew you were harsh, and so... Uh, here's your money back. I, I knew that, that you would want it back. And then the, t the master says, you're wicked. Because if you knew that I get stuff from where I didn't 
put it in and I, I want what's mine, then what you should have done was what these other guys did. They, they were given these talents and they used them wisely and they made an increase. And so they, this is good. And, and what, what he is saying in the book is, is, is when we see God as a vicious, wrathful taskmaster, then we are giving ourselves over to a religion and God will be to us a vicious, wrathful taskmaster. What the Bible says is that our God is not a vicious, wrathful taskmaster. What our Bible says is that he is our father who loves us, who gave his son for us, who adopted us, who wants us to be his sons and daughters so that his face can shine on us and he can bless us and he can bring us into his glory and spend eternity with us. That does not sound like a vicious taskmaster. That sounds like a God who we often make an, a false view of in our own hearts. And Paul is saying this, this persuasion is not from him. He's not a vicious taskmaster. He wants you to have freedom. Why would he send Jesus to them and ask you to then also keep the law? And then Paul goes on here and he says that their destruction is going to be revealed. He says that in Galatians 5, 10 through 12. Okay? So this destruction, if you're a note taker, destruction, that's what it is. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and, no, and, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In the case of the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. These are some very strong words, and you may not even expect that this would be in your Bible. There's lots of crazy things that are in your Bible. Did you know in Judges, there's this dad who goes off to war, and then he comes back, and according to the text, he, he burns his daughter up as a sacrifice to God? Crazy stuff in your Bible, but that doesn't mean it's not true. And so Paul, with very strong words, says, the one who is troubling you, they're going to bear this own penalty. This is the destruction revealed. Those who are seeking to cut us off from Christ, they themselves will be cut off. In the Old Testament, there's this rule. It's in Deuteronomy uh, 23.1, and it says that any man who has had a... Uh, uh, I'll put it to you this way. Any man who has had a groin accident, we'll put it to you that way, okay? Cannot enter the temple. So Paul, the good Jew that he is, is saying, listen, they want you to, they want you to cut a little bit so that you can be worthy of this. Why don't they go the whole mile? Because that's what they need. Because they're going to be cut off anyway, so they might as well cut themselves off now. Does this make sense? It's a very strong terminology. So Paul is confident in their acceptance of what? He's confident in their acceptance of the truth. But the truth isn't always easy to accept. I'm going to tell you what I mean right now. The truth that Paul is preaching is this. We are despicable. We are dead in our trespasses and all we do is evil all the time. But God. You see, that's what's divisive. Because it's much more friendly, it's much more easy for me to say from the pulpit instead, like Paul's uh, counterparts were saying, look, you can, just, you can just do it yourself. Just a little snip here, a little snip snip there, you're in. It doesn't take much. So it's, yeah, it's, Jesus did this thing, and that's great, and we should believe in that, but really all you've got to do, just take a little off the top, and, and, and you're good. This is a do-it-yourself religion, what they're saying. 
This is to save myself. That's not offensive. That's what Paul's saying here. If I was preaching circumcision, then there would be no offense. The Jews wouldn't care. You wouldn't care. As a Gentile, you'd be like, well, that's weird. I don't know if I want to join that, you know, but, but there'd be no persecution. But because I'm preaching the truth, then there's now persecution. Kind of like when we say things like, hey, marriage is between one man and one woman, which, by the way, I've got to clarify now, one biologically born woman, and by the way, I can define it, Matt Walsh, I will define it for you. So a biologically born woman who identifies as a woman with a biologically born man who identifies as a man, and that is what marriage is, and anything else outside of that is wrong. Okay, okay. But what he's saying here is the bedrock of our freedom is Christ, him crucified, him raised, him in his glory. The bandit of our freedom is really anything else outside of that. And really what he points to is this self-same serpent who is ever seeking to seduce us in his self-righteous slavery. So lastly then, the boundaries of our freedom. Are you ready for this? So what are the boundaries? So that's the bedrock. Okay? So the bedrock is Christ and him crucified. The bandit is Satan and the flesh or religious legalism. So then, okay, pastor, if we're free, how free are we and what are we free to do? Because I like freedom. Do you like freedom? I mean, he bought our freedom. He gives us freedom. So what is that? What does that look like? Well, Paul is going to tell us that in 13 through 15 here to wrap us up. He says, For we were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So, the three subpoints of this that I want to take you through, and if you have a copy of God's word, you can stay in 13 through 15. The first one is this, we are, in fact, I'm just going to give you them all, and then we'll, 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 uh, we'll go through them. We are not free to pursue or indulge in carnality. He says in verse 13, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. See, the Jews have been set free from the law. The Gentiles were set free from pagan ritual. But a great scholar, John Stott, says there are many such slaves in our society today. They proclaim their freedom with a loud voice. They speak of free love and free choice, but in reality, they are slaves to their own appetites to which they have given free reign simply because they cannot control them. You see, we think in our country that freedom means I can do whatever I want with whoever I want, whenever I want, and that there is no consequences. <clears throat> Looney Tunes... Minecraft, life, it just isn't that way. We are given a freedom in Christ. Jesus answered to them, remember, remember I said this before, those who practice sin are slaves to sin. <clears throat> That's what John Stott is saying. Jesus says in 834, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. You see, Jesus is not fire insurance, and I thought he was for an awful long time. We, Jesus did not come and die just so I could continue to get drunk or have a one-night stand or get high or, you know, be engrossed in pornography or get angry and fight people or just whatever other prideful, stupid things that I was engaged in. Jesus didn't come to die just so that I could say, thank you for not letting me burn up for this. That's not the gospel. That's not what he calls us to. 
we are not free to, per, to uh, pursue or indulge in conflict. It says in verse 15, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. I don't know what it's called. I'm sure there's got to be one, some medical condition that consumes, that the body just consumes itself. I know that part of that is starvation. You starve to death because your body ends up just consuming itself. Or maybe you've seen like zombie movies or there's this video game out now too. I think there's a movie about uh, The Last of Us, right? Somebody help me out. You guys know what I'm talking about. Nobody? That's fine. There is. I saw, so The Last of Us, yes. He uses these terms in here, bite, which means to harm, or devour, which means to waste to utterly destroy, to rob, to exploit. I like to think of it as something that's just rusting out. So we are not free to just pursue carnality. We are not free to just do whatever we want with one another. This is what he says, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So the last thing is we are free to limitlessly pursue care. The word he uses here in the text, it, it probably doesn't surprise you, uh, but he says, for you were called to this freedom, but through love serve one another. That's verse 13. And in verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Can anybody, is anybody a good biblical scholar here? Can anybody tell me what that word love is in this text? It's the Greek word agape. It is the same kind of word, so, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. It is a selfless love. You hear it at in almost every single uh, wedding you've ever been to, right? Love is patient, love is kind, it does not boast, it keeps no record of wrongs, all that stuff. This kind of servant love is what we are free to pursue endlessly and boundlessly. That means not changing the truth. Paul does not change the truth here. He holds them accountable to it. He, in fact, rebukes them harshly, rebukes his critics, as we can see, harshly, tells them to emasculate themselves. I mean, that's, that's pretty harsh. And yet, this is all done out of love because he knows the best thing for them is to know the Lord, to know the truth of the gospel, which sets them free from the bondage of sin. So the bedrock of our freedom is Christ and him crucified, him raised to glory. The bandit of our freedom is Satan and sinful flesh. And lastly, the boundary of our freedom is the limitless, as long as it's lived out for the love of Christ. Now, next week, next week, I want to talk about what is the source and the power to do this. Because I don't know about you, this kind of freedom that we just talked about today, boundless freedom, that's the kind of freedom I want. I have always been the kind of guy who bucks authority. But if that authority were to give me boundless freedom, I would want to know how to access that. So next week, that's what we're going to talk about. For this week, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the freedom that you have purchased for us. We ask that you would help us, dear Jesus, to stand firm, therefore, and not submit again to this yoke of slavery. We ask that you would help us to run well and continue to persevere. We pray that you would, through your spirit, increase our faith as we eagerly wait for the hope of your return. Grant us your strength to fulfill the whole law by loving one another well. Father, give us wisdom and grace 
to testify as Paul did to your truth, for your word is truth. Let us fight for and not with one another, for such is your good pleasure and the will that you have for your church. In the name of Jesus, we do pray. Amen.